Mark and I have become friends. I'm, uh, my background is I'm from Chicago, actually. I moved to Silicon Valley right after graduating from school and have been there ever since. I uh, began as a lawyer, got recruited away to become an investment banker, got recruited away to become a venture capitalist, and now I'm an impact entrepreneur. So I'm going to give a presentation that's mostly about the impact economy and, uh, and a little bit about SharedX, our company, our impact agriculture company, to put that in context with my presentation. So I'd like to begin by taking us back to a very different era. 61 years ago, at 2 o'clock in the morning, on the steps of the Michigan Union at the University of Michigan, Senator John F. Kennedy electrified the students by announcing the idea for the Peace Corps without naming it. Here's the thing. Within days, students mobilized and within two weeks had produced volunteer commitments from 800 students to do manual labor in emerging countries to be named later. Word of the extraordinary events got back to Kennedy, and some aides believe it was the Michigan students' enthusiasm, thousands of them at 2 in the morning, some of whom sight unseen signed up for an adventure they didn't really know much about. That gave Kennedy the courage to announce and then launch the Peace Corps. In the midst of discord, there was unity. Next slide, please. Okay. So I'm going to try to talk to you about the impact economy through the lens of three very public figures from the 1960s. John F. Kennedy, Milton Friedman, and Jane Goodall each in their own ways. Next slide, please. Before getting to those three public figures from the 1960s, I want to, I promised you an economic insight when some of you were in the room yesterday, so I'm going to try to fulfill my promise right now. I was honored to give the commencement address last year at the University of Michigan Department of Economics uh, class of 2020, so I felt compelled to show up with an economic insight that they hadn't already learned from their professors. So I came up with the following, which I'd observed but hadn't seen anybody write about. I call it, therefore it's probably wrong, okay, but, but I'm going with it anyway because I promised you something yesterday. So, All right, so I call it the triple upshift of the demand curves by consumers, investors, and workers all putting pressure on companies to declare their ESG. The data is overwhelming. In the consumer market in America, half of the growth over the past five years has come from sustainability marketed goods. Set aside the greenwashing. What was the consumer's intent? In the capital markets, today a third of professionally managed public equity funds are screened for ESG with a growth rate much faster than conventional, just like consumer products. And if you look at the surveys of the younger generations, overwhelmingly, 
they want to combine in their career a paycheck with a purpose. And that's happened just in the past five, at the most, ten years. And so, I've asked my friends, can you name a more sudden and dramatic market shift? The consumer market, the investor market, the worker market, without coordinating, simultaneously doing a dramatic shift in a very different direction. That's a throwdown challenge for all of you. In your career, since the dawn of capitalism, can you think of a more sudden and dramatic market shift? I cannot. That's the triple up shift. There's some good things going on. And this is market driven. Next slide, please. Oh, I got the clicker. Next slide, please. I'm sure I'm aiming at the wrong direction. Oh, can you go on, go on back? Okay, yeah. I'm going to talk about Milton Friedman first. So, uh, after Kennedy's speech at the Michigan Union, Milton Friedman published his most prominent book, Capitalism and Freedom. And in it, he asserts a philosophy. This is not an economic fact proven. The philosophy is there is one and only one social responsibility of business, and that's to increase profits. And you hear that today. It's like, it's, it's anachronism. Nobody would be bold enough to put your hand up if you agree with that today, but I don't think many people in the room would, so I'm not going to even challenge anyone to do that. And the thing about Friedman is 60 years later, the markets have rejected that philosophy, are in the process of dramatically rejecting that philosophy because of the reality of the triple-up shift, sudden and dramatic. Less well-known... Uh, in Friedman's book, the only person he cites in support of his philosophy, on the, the only social purpose of business is to is higher profits, is Adam Smith, who actually didn't say that uh, in Wealth of Nations. Adam Smith did say, talking about the idea of purpose-driven businesses, that's an affectation, a feeling of the heart, not very common among merchants, and very few words need to be employed in dissuading them from it. In other words, it didn't exist. Entrepreneurs weren't in 1776, that's the year the Wealth of Nations was published, were starting companies to do good in the world, they were in it to make money. Well, that's sudden and dramatic change. Next slide, please. Okay, Adam Smith, I promised you some Adam Smith yesterday. Everybody knows about the invisible hand. Read, read the Wealth of Nations. Uh, it's, it does not say, I, I, in my opinion, Friedman took that out of context. It's about GDP growth. That's what the paragraph's about. And uh, so, of course, people work harder. GDP's going to go up. Does that make society better in everything in all ways? No. Adam Smith didn't say that. So it's, it's, in my opinion, out of context. The more interesting thing is I think Smith's better book, more interesting book, is a theory of moral sentiments published earlier in 1759. Adam Smith was first and foremost a moral philosopher, later in life becoming a political economist. 
and basically what he says in a theory of moral sentiments is the only path to human happiness is to combine our best head with our best heart. In other words, to have a purpose beyond ourselves, to serve others. In 1759, one of the best moral philosophers said that. And so, therefore, I wish Adam Smith, he published The Wealth of Nations about economics, I wish this book had been called The Health of Nations. That's really what it's about. And so uh, I think Adam Smith is, uh, is a very interesting compare and contrast with Milton Friedman and doesn't really stand at all for Friedman's assertion. Next slide, please. Okay, everybody knows who this is. Jane Goodall, uh, another figure from the 1960s. Here's the cool thing. Jane Goodall published a new book last month. The cooler thing is the title of the book, The Book of Hope, in this time of discord. And so, Jane Goodall is hopeful of the future. She cites four reasons. Two of them are, she's from Britain, so she can get away with saying something as beautiful as this, (laughs) the indomitable human spirit. We can. And the second the younger generations, hearkening back to my prior point. So uh, the, other, the, the other thing about Jane Goodall's book is she recognized early, early on in her career the inextricable link between poverty and the environment in the following unexpected way. She was assigned, many of you know, by Dr. Lewis Leakey, anthropologist, to go study chimpanzee communities in Tanzania and save them. They were being killed and trampled upon and so forth. So Jane lived amongst that community uh, and tried to help the chimpanzees until she realized unless people could help alleviate the poverty of the local indigenous communities, the chimpanzees had no hope because the poor people in those communities were for income killing the chimpanzees and cutting down trees. The inextricable link between the two. Next slide, please. And so the company I co-founded, SharedX, six years ago, we didn't, uh, Jane Goodall was half a century in front of us. Our founding mission statement is the link between poverty and the environment. This is a direct quote. We lift smallholder incomes by deploying sustainable farming methods. So when I read Goodall's book, uh, it just fell off my chair. It's like, oh, that is so cool. And, of course, she got there half a century before we did. Next slide, please. Okay. Uh, I promised you yesterday, I, I vaguely alluded to the paradox of the 70s and the 2% solution. I'm going to go through this quickly, but from an impact perspective, they're foundational and largely unknown. The paradox of the 70s goes, goes like this. Small farmers around the world produce about 70% of the world's food and yet constitute about 70% of the world's poor. Just think about that. How could that possibly be? 
there's just the injustice in that. The people that provide 70% of our nutrition occupy 70% of the base of the economic pyramid. How can that be? The 2% solution is even crazier, uh, including the fact that it's not very well known. This is from a Morgan Stanley research uh, series earlier this year called The Future of Food and, and other places too. Check it out. A two percentage point increase in soil carbon concentration would offset all the world's annual carbon emissions. I'm going to say that again because it's so consequential. By going from 1% of soil carbon content to 3%, a tripling, two percentage points, we could offset all the world's annual carbon emissions. That might be an important thing to focus on, the 2% solution. Next slide, please. So I gave a, uh, I guess, lectured in a Stanford University graduate course earlier this year, and I taught about the paradox of the 70s and the 2% solution and other things. And at the end, I wanted to ask the students two challenge questions to really drive the importance of both of those points home. It's an impact course for impact and sustainability. The first challenge, meant to be rhetorical, but uh, there became some pretty good discussion out of them. The first is, how can we alleviate poverty if we don't include 70% of the poor in the impact economy? Well, we can't, because it's 70%. On the 2% solution, how can we achieve it if we don't empower the farmers who grow 70% of our food? Well, we can't. It's going to fall short. Jane Goodall was right 60 years ago. The inextricable link, poverty in the environment. Next slide. If you look at the UN SDGs, uh, I've boxed in green at the top, those that are mostly about poverty, and in blue, those that are about the environment. You'll notice that virtually every box up here is green and blue. Green is not. So, so uh, if, we're, if we're going to work on the impact economy, uh, there are a lot of good ideas, but focusing our effort on the misery of people at the base of the economic pyramid and planet Earth uh, is important, too. Next slide, please. Okay, so very quickly on SharedX. Uh, my co-founder is from Lima, Peru, educated in America, master's, Ph.D., MBA, agronomics, agriculture, uh, became the undersecretary of agriculture for Peru, and uh, then led a global ag consulting firm where he and his team did 500 agriculture projects in 30 countries over 30 years. So I really don't add any value to this company. I'm just along for the ride. I don't have that background. So uh, he has invented, we have deployed, an innovative farming model that has three elements in it. Regenerative agriculture for higher yields, healthier soils, advantage market access for higher prices, and transformational smallholder engagement. How do groups work with those, uh, those communities effectively? Next slide, please. Okay, to date, we're, we just passed our sixth anniversary as a company on our two impact metrics, poverty and the environment. We've demonstrated our ability to lift smallholder incomes up to factor five. 
and third-party testing, our soil carbon concentration is three and a half times greater than that of control group farms growing the same crop in the same community. Next slide, please. Uh, this year, SharedX is uh, ranked the number 76 global impact company by an organization called Real Leaders. It's a fantastic. Of course, we like it because they rank us, but we like them independent of that. A great organization. Their collaborators include Bain Capital and KPMG and YPO and, and others. They're just really terrific people. Last year, we were ranked number 99. Uh, the MacArthur Foundation previously named us a top 200 global impactful solution. Uh, and we admired MacArthur as well. Next slide, please. been curious about what exactly John Kennedy said when he gave the speech on the steps of the Michigan Union 61 years ago. And so I went about to find a recording of the speech. There is no video that I could find. There's an audio. And I listened. And I could feel the students' extraordinary energy, none more so than when Kennedy closed with this. The University of Michigan does not exist, and I quote, merely to help its graduates have an economic advantage in the life struggle. There is certainly a greater purpose, and I'm sure you recognize it. To you, here's my challenge question to you. Was Kennedy right? Do our degrees have a larger purpose? And do we recognize it? Here's the thing. We get to decide. And in so doing, we will determine the future course of the impact economy. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. I think what you're doing is fantastic with the with the company. But out of interest, like where are you guys with the test studies when you start to see like 3.5 is a huge increase on the impact in farming, right? And a 5% increase in, in what you're seeing is getting people out of that poverty. Are you taking this as an implementation to put it into other countries? Like I'm assuming you were at COP26 and following a lot of the mandates of what they're looking for in the next movement. But I'd be curious because you're doing this in Peru. Is it going to be applied elsewhere? Is that, yeah. yeah, that's that's the idea. Thank you for the question. Uh, we began in Peru, expanded to the Dominican Republic. We've done some work in Zambia. We wanted to grow faster there, uh, but then the pandemic hit, so we couldn't expand. So our, our vision from the beginning was Latin America and Africa, but now we're also coming to America because it's just a moment in history. And really we think a big part of the future of agriculture is regenerative agriculture. So the, on a spectrum, chemicals, you know what that is. Organic is don't put too many chemicals in the soil. And regenerative is not the chemicals, but also inject nutrition to restore health and vitality to the microbes. And healthy microbes provide great nourishment, the best nourishment to the plants, because it's nature helping nature. Come join our 361 firm community of investors and thought leaders. We have a lot of events created by the community as we collaborate on investments and philanthropic interests. Join us.